Today, I want to tell you a secret. Has anyone ever told you a secret before? And, and I'm not talking like the ones that kids tell you where they get super close to your ear and like shout into your ear. Uh, my son Jericho, who's seven years old, whenever he tells me a secret, I somehow get his saliva super deep into my ear canal and it's terrifying. And, and, and everyone in the room can hear what he's saying anyway. So not that type of secret and not the type of secret that's like more gossipy or you're trying to like keep something from someone. But I'm referring more to one of those secrets that when you learn that thing, it could change or has changed your life. We're nearing right now the end of our study through the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote from a prison cell. For, for anyone who's, who's joining us for the first time, before meeting Jesus, Paul was persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail. He was tormenting them, torturing them, even killing them. And now, after meeting Jesus, here Paul is in chains for proclaiming Christ, for telling people about Jesus, and he's writing a letter to the Christians in Philippi. Paul's letters to first century churches are so important that we still read some of them today, including this letter to the Philippians that we've been studying over the past several weeks. And as we get to the end of this letter, we see Paul saying, Thank you to his Philippian brothers and sisters. Go ahead and turn over to Philippians chapter 4 on your Bibles or Bible apps or click open a new tab. Philippians 4 verses 10 through 20. Here's what Paul writes. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift, the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's start by taking a look at verse 11. Here's what Paul writes. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I've learned the secret. You know, this statement from Paul would have immediately grabbed his, his reader's attention, not just because of the seemingly impossible feat of contentment in every situation, but more so because of how he set it up. When Paul writes, I have learned the secret, he chooses a word that Christian readers would not have expected him to use. It's actually a word he grabs from culture. 
I mean, we see Aristophanes, Plato, and Plutarch write about this very thing, referencing an initiation into the cults of the Hellenistic mystery religions. By using this one word, here's what Paul is communicating. I have been initiated into the contentment club. I have been initiated into this club of contentment. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I've always wanted to be in a club. Uh, maybe some of you are in a club right now or have been part of one, like a fraternity or sorority or a country club or social club or hobby club or whatever, whatever the clubs are. Um, if you've been in one of those, I'm pretty jealous of you. I, I've never been in a club, even when I was a little kid. My friends wouldn't let me in their club. I think they were worried about a hostile takeover, which actually is probably, they were probably right about that. So I, I've never been in a club, so I'm jealous if you have. Um, and, and that's why when I read how Paul refers to this, this club of contentment that he's been initiated into, that sounds really good to me, especially in the midst of our current circumstance. Contentment sounds great. Are you with me there? You know, maybe as, as you're listening to me talk about what Paul's communicating when he, say, when he says that he's experiencing contentment, he's content in any and every circumstance, you're going... That sounds good. How do, I, how do I get in that club? Take a moment right now. I want to ask you to do something. Think about the thing in your life, the one thing in your life that creates more discontentment than anything else. Think about that thing. As soon as it comes to your mind, go ahead and write it down or type it into your phone. But I want you to hold on to that today. Maybe it's how your life has been altered as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Maybe it's your finances or your debt or uh, a relationship. Maybe it's something about you that you can't change. Maybe it's a situation that you can't change, which that's usually what content, discontentment does. And what we realize about discontentment is that it's that thing that we can't change. It's just is what it is. You know, we surveyed some of, our, some of our community group leaders a while back, and we asked them, hey, what's the one thing you want us to teach about? What do you want to learn? And the number one response we got was not help me grow closer to God or unpack this part of scripture a little bit more. I mean, those things were up there, but the number one thing we got back was the question, how can I be content? That's what you wanted to know. And I think the reason why we struggle so much with discontentment is because it keeps us from experiencing the present by locking us into an unchangeable past. It starves us with visions of an unsatisfying future, and it limits us from full, life-giving relationships. So the question, how can I be content, or how do I contend with discontentment? is a good one. Now, let's be clear. Paul is saying that contentment is not a disposition, not an inherent quality, or even a personality trait. And this is so important for us today. Contentment is learned behavior. This is a journey. Contentment is not some quick fix, not some emotional switch that we flip. Contentment is a process developed over time. And, and within that process, there are definitely things that attempt to prevent us from becoming part of this club. And I think Paul identifies three things that we can really grab out of this passage that we need to resist 
that could potentially keep us on the outside of contentment looking in. As we go through these three things, if one of them resonates with you today, I want to encourage you to own it, name it, call it out in your life. Begin to develop a deeper sense of of self-awareness when it comes to what's potentially limiting your contentment. Okay, we'll start in verse 10. Here's what Paul writes. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last, at last, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, it seems like the Philippians hadn't been able to send support in quite some time to Paul. And I think this is something he could have resented. Like, hey, where's my money? Where's my support? Where are all those finances? Where are you guys? But we also know that the church in Philippi had supported him plenty in the past, so, so he probably didn't resent them at all. I mean, he could have resented the churches in Corinth, Philipp, uh, not Philippi, Corinth, Thessalonica, and Ephesus, uh, but he never takes that stance. We don't see Paul taking that stance. Instead, he chooses to believe the best about them, and the same is true for this part of his letter to the church in Philippi. I know that you are still concerned. But I also know that the season you were in did not allow you the opportunity to send support my way. I mean, that's, that's actually what he's communicating, even as he chooses the Greek verb for you, renewed. That, that word would have painted an image, a botanical image of a plant blooming after a period of dormancy. Like, like you were in a winter season, but spring has sprung. Your concern for me has blossomed again. You know, maybe... The Philippians were financially strapped. Maybe they couldn't get the resource into the prison. Whatever it was, Paul recognized that. He didn't resent the time it took, but instead he chose gratitude when it finally arrived. And I think this is the first thing we can grab out of this. Resist resentment. Resist resentment. There are options here. In a spring season and in a winter season, we have a choice, resentment or contentment. Then Paul Paul goes on, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Think about what Paul's saying. I have learned to be content because I'm in a spring season and you're sending me support again. No, no, no. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And Paul's saying, I I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I also know what contentment in both of those situations looks like. And what's interesting is that in those circumstances, to be in need and and, and, and to have plenty, those things are not mutually exclusive. And sometimes, think about it, sometimes we have plenty of money and we want more time. And then there's other times where we have all the time, like when we're sheltered in place and we're more concerned about our money and our finances. Or maybe uh, you're, you're single and you have all the, the freedom, you have plenty of freedom to do what you want to do and travel with friends or, you know, you just have those types of freedoms, but you may still want to be married. Conversely, if you're married, you might want some of those freedoms and the opportunity and ability to do the things that you used to do. And then all of a sudden, resentment can start to creep in. Now, oftentimes, we are in seasons of want and seasons of plenty at the same time. But Paul has learned contentment 
whatever the circumstance. And, and just another thought, maybe to, to tag onto that, maybe the bigger challenge is being content when we have everything. You know, contentment in seasons of plenty, when we're well-fed, when the economy's doing great, when we have money, this can be difficult because usually in those seasons, we still really want more. But Paul had learned something different. Verse 18, in prison, says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. Do you feel like you have more than enough right now? Or do you just want more? I mean, let's not forget that this is a guy in a prison cell potentially awaiting death, and he says, I'm okay, I'm good, actually, I have more than enough, I'm wealthy. If you just trace how Paul uses the word need in this passage, you'll see his context for contentment. I mean, there's a clear line for Paul between need and greed. Discontentment is dissatisfaction with what we have and what we can't afford. And in our, in our culture today, we constantly feel this need to upgrade. Discontentment creates awareness of, of what we don't have. It breeds greed. But Paul, as a member of the contentment club, is able to, second thing we're going to take out of this, resist greed. Resist greed. As American citizens in 2020, we have more than most people around the world and most people throughout history could even imagine. I mean, for most of us, we, we have everything we need. But many of us miss what we need it for, and consequently, it leaves us wanting more. And Jesus takes this concept further in, in one of his parables in Luke chapter 12, where he essentially says that greed is the assumption that everything we have is for our consumption. Greed is the assumption that everything we have is for our consumption. It's not about what you have. It's not about wealth or riches, but what you do with what you have. That's what matters. You see, everything we own and everything we get is not intended for us. There's a direct correlation between contentment and what we do with what we have. In a letter to his protege, Paul writes about how dangerous this need for more can be to those who have plenty. He writes... But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Amanda and I, my wife Amanda and I, have uh, this back room of the house that we rent that we weren't really using for anything. And in light of the shelter in place, we've turned it into like a home gym. My wife usually does CrossFit and I go to 24-hour fitness and that's how we, we stay in shape and that's how we work out. But since... We can't go to those places. We're, we're working out at home. And, and we like to joke about the fact that when we go to this room, we're going there to get our gains. We're gaining muscle and a better physique and health and all that good stuff. I'm actually probably getting more maintains than I am gains right now, but, but it's fun for us to talk about. And, and we were talking the other day about this message and contentment and, and what I was going to have the opportunity to teach our church. And she said, Steve, you're going to teach our church about Jesus gains. And yeah, it's a weird, funny thought, and we, we laughed about it. But, but she was right. There's a difference between the gains we desire, even though we have everything we need, and the gains that Paul writes to Timothy about. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. This 
is the more you are looking for. Resist greed. Seek godliness. And let's just think about godliness. Love, sacrifice, generosity. And be content with what you have. These are true gains. I mean, this is where Paul's mind was in a prison cell. I get to eat today. I'm good. No matter what the economy does, I'm good. No matter what happens to me, I'm good. And it led him to this place where what he wanted for people mattered way more and meant way more than what he wanted from people. He writes in verse 17, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. It reminds me so much of some of the conversations that I'm having with people who are continuing to give to Cornerstone right now. And I love that they are being so sacrificial and so giving even in such trying times. I mean, they're making it possible for us to continue to move forward as a church and and to help people who are struggling. But what I've loved hearing is how much their generosity and their sacrifice has meant for them. The other day, I, I called up my friends Pam and Roland, who also work with Seek and Save, and, and they were telling me about the 40-plus families that they're helping to feed and get shelter and resource during this crazy time that we find ourselves in, and, and you know those people don't have those things. And, and Roland started telling me about how God has opened their eyes to love people f- from all kinds of different backgrounds, all sorts of different people, that God's opening up, up their eyes to this. And then he said, Steve, that part is really cool, but you wouldn't believe the love that we're receiving in return. The, the reciprocity that they're experiencing is, is phenomenal. And, and as we were talking and we were discussing how much they're giving and what all they're doing, which trust me, they're being very generous. And that's just who they are. But Roland kept talking about the blessings they are receiving. I mean, they're blessing others and he couldn't help but say, the blessings we're getting are just so incredible. And then Pam said something that I love so much. She said, Steve, we have these beautiful relationships with with people who have become like our family that we would have never even had the opportunity to meet had we not chosen to serve them or been given that chance. And to be honest with you, a lot of the people that Pam and Roland are helping are from Cornerstone. And I'm so thankful for what our church is getting from them and from people like them. But what I really love is what all Pam and Roland's generosity has meant for them. How God is using their generosity to impact their lives in incredible ways. Where they start talking about words like favor and blessing and and they're just giving. It's, It's so incredible. And I think this is what any church, any leader, any Christ follower should desire. Not the gift, but what the giving of the gift will do for you. See, when we resist greed, we concern ourselves more with what we want for people than what we want from people. Paul wanted more for them. I desire more be credited to your account. It's why he wrote verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's being very careful to explain a triangular relationship between him, his brothers and sisters in Philippi, and God, because he values his friendship with the Philippians so much. 
I mean, when friendship is, is just based on asking to have needs met, that's when they break down. And maybe you've experienced this. The more, the more desperate we are to have our needs met by a friend, the more likely we are to ruin that friendship. Paul's telling them that their meeting of, of his needs is not the basis of their friendship because God's provision transcends all of that. Hey, thank you for your gift, but just so we're clear, my God will meet all of your needs. And sure, this has some implication of material needs, which I believe that God meets those, but not in some weird prosperity gospel way where if you give, then God will give, and it's this like give and take uh, that it's all contingent on what you give and all that. And I think the reason I believe this is because the central push of these words is that Paul wanted his friends to experience the riches of the glory of Jesus Christ. And these riches far surpass any temporary or tangible need or something that we could receive. But here's why this is difficult. Uh, the culture around us does not hold this same value. So we quickly get caught up in comparing ourselves to everyone around us. But, but think about this with Paul. Even from his, his prison cell, he didn't look to the freedoms of his brothers and sisters in, in Philippi and what they had. Like they were on the outside. They experienced freedom. But Paul knew that he already knew true freedom. Even in chains, even in prison, he was as free as he could be. So he didn't start comparing them because what he was experiencing with Jesus transcended all of that. He didn't compare his situation to theirs. He just wanted great things for them. And I think this is one of the things he teaches us. Resist comparison. Are you learning this contentment behavior? You know, I think this is one of the most difficult things to avoid during this season and what we're going through as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. It's so easy to compare ourselves as parents to other parents or to employees, as employees to other employees, what they're getting, what they're experiencing, what they're receiving, how they're parenting their kids, etc. Are you falling into this trap? Are you avoiding this? Or are you being initiated into this contentment club? And I think this one statement from psychologist Jordan Peterson sums up this thought well, and I'll just leave this one at this. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. All right, we've talked through all the things that we resist as part of the uh, contentment club. Let's just recap real quick. Resist resentment, resist greed, resist comparison. And those things are helpful. These three things are helpful. But I know me and I know you, and I know that this is easier said than done. I know that I can't just avoid those things all the time. I don't think that I'm always in this contentment club, even. But before we can resist those things on a consistent basis, we have to do something that's the opposite of resisting. Resisting says, no, stay away. We're going to keep that at a, at, at a distance. The opposite of that would be to welcome and accept. And the thing that we need to welcome and accept is exactly what Paul writes here in verse 13. Here's what he says. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know, pretty much all of us have heard this verse before. Some of us have it in our Instagram profi profiles and Twitter profiles. And if you went to a Christian school, then this verse was most likely put up in front of the squat racks in your weight room because Jesus was going to help you lift more weight that day. Uh, we, we've seen athletes post it and talk about it. And Pastor Steve even asked me, told me, to talk about Steph Curry and tell you, that he is one of the athletes who, who writes this on his shoes, and, and he actually gets the context of this verse. Unfortunately, a lot of athletes, and really a lot of people in general, don't understand the context of what Paul's saying. 
it's actually probably the most misinterpreted and misused words from the entire Bible, if not all of literature throughout history. I mean, Paul is not telling people that they will be able to win a fight or, or win a game or lift weight or accomplish some great feat because of what Christ is going to do. This verse that Paul's writing is about the capacity to be content in every situation, not because of what you do or don't do, but because of who does it through you. Church, this is the secret to being okay on the inside when things on the outside are not okay. When everything on the outside is out of control, this is what makes what is on the inside of me in control. Not that I'm controlling it, but through Christ who gives me strength. You see, Paul is saying that the initiation into the mystery of contentment, becoming part of the contentment club, is Christ in you, empowering you. And, and our initiation, right, our, our member dues are nothing more than this posture. I can't do it. I can't. But Christ can. It's a complete surrender of self. You know, neuroscientist Rick Hansen writes in his book, Hardwiring Happiness, that the human mind wraps itself around fear and problems like Velcro. It just sticks so easily. And it's, it's just there. But on the other hand, the brain wraps its mind around positivity and happiness like food does on a new Teflon pan. If you ever have purchased a new Teflon pan, you know that at least through the first 10 times you use it, food just slides right off of that. And that's what he's saying. The same thing happens with happiness. It just slides right out. His studies show that we have to consciously hold on to positive thought for a minimum of 15 consecutive seconds before it leaves any impression on our neurons. I think Paul was on to something when he wrote what Pastor Steve taught us last week. Do you remember this? Paul said, hey, think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And then a couple verses later, here we are. We find Paul writing about finding contentment. This is not a coincidence or a mistake. Those are the things we need to choose to think about on our journey to contentment. And we have to think about them with some intention. Contentment is something we need to practice with, with purpose. And I don't know about you, but I know that I can't arrive there on my own. But I do know who can help. Like Paul says, hey, I've been initiated into this club that experiences contentment in everything, and you can too. Not because of what you do, but through Christ in you. He gives us the strength to hold on to the good things. When your finances don't look the way you want or you have too much debt and you don't know how you're going to get out of it, contentment is possible. When a relationship is rocky and difficult and stressful, contentment is still possible. It doesn't mean it's going to work out the way you want necessarily or, or it's all going to get resolved perfectly, but contentment is available. When a pandemic threatens our health and our wealth and our jobs, we can still be content. How? How do we do that? Through Christ in you. He empowers you not to give into resentment, greed, or comparison, but contentment in seasons of plenty, 
and seasons of want. You know, this, this isn't in my notes. I just, I just had this thought, and I wanted to share it with you. The, I was thinking about this whole COVID-19 pandemic and how we're responding as a family, and my wife is more of an anxious person in general, and, and so this is causing some anxiety for her, and she's processing that. But one of the things that I've noticed is that she's having to lean on Jesus so much. Like our prayer time at night, that's what she's praying for. It's like, God, Jesus, give me strength. And, and, and I'm starting to get a little envious of her because I'm not feeling the same way. And, and I think it's not so much that I'm content, but I think, to be honest, I think I'm more apathetic and it's kind of limiting my ability to be empathetic with my wife. And, and, I'm, just, and I'm also seeing like, it's more about my will than his will. And like, I'm just trying to force being okay with all this. And so I'm envious of her and I'm also realizing I can't be her hero, which I think is causing some, some discontentment. But, but that's like my prayer right now is like, Jesus, show me how much I need you in all this. And it's been, it's been helpful and, and I, I'm still processing, but but it is interesting to see how we're both process, how we're both going through it. And, and even with my wife's fear and anxiety that she's going through, like in her initiation into the contentment club, it's not like fear and anxiety just disappears. Those things are still there. But contentment, being part of this mystery that Paul writes about, it teaches us how to engage and contend with that stuff that causes us to be discontent. And I think it's really important for us to remember, too, that, and I said this earlier, but, but I want to make sure this, this hits home with you. This initiation into con- contentment is not some static one-time experience. It doesn't happen easily and naturally. It's a journey with Jesus, daily sacrificing, surrendering, and remembering his goodness. Real quick, go back to that thing that I had you think about and write down that is your, your primary source of discontentment right now, because I want to talk to you for just a few seconds about that. That thing that you wrote down, that has more power than anything else in your life for God to do great work in you and through you. That one thing that you wrote down. Because God can use how you deal with your discontentment for incredible good. I mean, just think about Paul. Paul was in prison writing about his contentedness to the Philippians. He's in chains, and here we are, 2,000 years later, studying these words. See, this isn't because of what we can do, but because of what Christ can and will do through you. Jesus doesn't just want to use your your discontentment for for your own good, but he, he wants to use it for something great. Not just to overcome discontentment or even resentment, but to use it for something great. So, how do you contend with discontentment? Well, you don't, but Christ does. In other words, I can't. Christ can. Maybe that's how we start every day this week. Write this on your bathroom mirror. Put this somewhere where you can see it. Maybe this is the thought that you hold on to for a minimum of 15 consecutive seconds, along with the things that Paul wrote in verse 8. I can't. Christ can I'm starting to resent someone. I'm starting to get greedy. I'm comparing my situation and my stuff to someone else. I'm getting anxious and frustrated and fearful. How do I stop? How do I contend with this? I can't. Christ in me can. You know, this week we are entering Holy Week, and I've obviously been thinking about this whole idea of contentment a lot 
because of what Paul wrote. And I've also been reading a lot about where our economy is right now because that stuff can impact the church in pretty big ways. And as we head into this week and, and we remember Jesus' journey to the cross and we celebrate his resurrection, I started to get convicted about something and contemplate something about my contentedness. Right now, with all the concern I have for the people that I love in this church and outside of it, if the economy were to completely bounce back this week, like let's just say there's a cure that comes out for COVID-19 and everything goes back to normal and actually there's a surge in the economy, what would I celebrate more? This week, if that were to happen, would I celebrate more the resurrection of the economy or would I celebrate more the resurrection of Jesus? Which one would have more significance for me? Which one would I, would I worship more? Which one would I praise God for more? Especially this week. You know, both of them are great, but one of them wins. Because here's some truth for us today. The resurrection of Jesus did more for me and more for you than the economy or anything else in this world ever could. He empowers us to be content in any and every situation. He has initiated us in contentment through the power of Jesus Christ in us. When Jesus is our everything, Christ in me, the hope of glory, we are initiated into the club of contentment. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, I've loved being with you guys this week. I miss you a ton and can't wait till I get to see you again. But as we leave, I've asked my friend Enoch from our Walnut Creek campus to lead us in a song. And in this song, there is one, one phrase where we're going to sing, Christ in me, the hope of glory. As you sing that out, let that be your mission, your, your, your call, the thing you live out. Every day this week, as you remember, I can't, Christ can. I love you guys so much. So good to be with you.